that are in your life because they very well could be the teaching of God for you. When you read verses 3 through 11, the main point is this. The trouble that you are going through, the the experiences that you're having, is not a sign of the hatred of God. It's not a sign of your sinfulness. If, if If it's your sin, the Lord will deal with that. But Paul says here, it's not God hating you. It's not God saying, you know what? You didn't do exactly everything right, so I'm going to whack you a little bit. It is not at all that. It is actually because of the love of God. Look at verse 6. Someone read verse 6 for me. Okay, and then read it. Verse 6. Very good. (laughs) She's reading that old King James. Um, Whom the Lord loves, he what? He chastens, he teaches, he educates, he he gives to them what they need for growth, and he scourges. Sometimes he will deal with sin and things in your life. But look at how he does it. He does it as a son. He does it as his child. He does it because he wants them to grow. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He he disciplines his child. It's not a sign of God treating you as an enemy, but it's a sign of God treating you as a son. No human parent would allow their child to just go off and do whatever they want to do. And oftentimes, what do human parents do? We use challenges and trials in our children's life to sit them down and say, look, how can you grow from this? How can you experience and, and learn from this? And this is what the Lord does with your trials and your challenges. And everybody in this room, you go through things, you will go through things again, and you've gone through things. Some of you might even be going through trials right now. But you've got to look at them as God using them for your growth. Verse 7, it, it is for discipline. It is for training but what are we supposed to endure? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to just give up, give in? I just got a text from someone that, in essence, has said to me, I'll meet with you, but nothing that you're going to do will change my mind. I am what I am. And I, the person said to me just now, I said, religion is just a drug to keep you from feeling the effects of of this world yeah but it's not you know what you're not supposed to do like that what are we supposed to do when these trials come when the chastening hand of the lord just like the hebrew people all this stuff was happening to them they wanted to quit and give up you know what guys that's the easy thing to do and that's usually the first thing that will come to your mind and one of the first things that will come to us in action soon as life gets hard as a christian we think that pulling back in our faith is the answer. So we slow down in church because, you know, obviously what happened to cause us all these problems is that we became a fanatic, you know, and two or three church services a week. That's, that, that's cultish, and our mind starts thinking like this, and so we start pulling back. Is that the answer? Look at verses tw- uh, 12 and 13. I'm just trying to do a recap. 
from, from the last couple of weeks. You know, the Lord says in verse 10, before we get there, Lord says, you know what? Your suffering is not meaningless. The trials that you go through are not without purpose. You know, the stuff that happens in your life, all of it. Do you remember, do you remember Romans 8, 28? It says that to those who love God, who are called according to his plan and purpose, all things work together for good. Okay? Everything can be used of God for good in our life and for something positive. Then look at verses 12 and 13. This is what we looked at last week. What are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to give up, right? We're supposed to get angry with God and angry with the church and angry with all that is good around us and just quit. No, not at all. But pastor, I get tired. I get so tired of, the, of, the, of, of living at times a Christian life. It's so heavy. You ever feel heavy? You ever feel like you just can't go any further in your faith and you just want to just, quit, just end it all, not kill yourself? I don't mean it that way. But you just, you know, it'd be so much easier to just go get drunk, to just go party, to just go do whatever else I want to do, forget about God, forget about living holy, and just, just go off and do what I wanted to do because you remember what happens is your brain or your heart, the devil says to you, remember before you got saved, remember all that stuff you enjoyed? Don't you miss it now? Why don't you just stop trying to live holy because you living for God is what's causing all these trials in your life. So just give up. That's the temptation, that's the snares, that's the wiles or the schemes of Satan that he tries to put upon us to get us to quit. But what does God's word say? Look at verse 12 again. Therefore, I like the word therefore. Whenever you see therefore, it means what you need to ask yourself is why is that word therefore? And what it does, it points back to what has recently been said. So, because you're going through these trials, because God is trying to teach you, and what's happening is it's the chastening of the Lord. It's maybe Him dealing with some sin in your life. It's the Lord trying to work some things in you. Because of Him doing that, what are you supposed to do? Here's what we're supposed to do. Strengthen the hands which hang down and then feeble knees. It simply means this. Be diligent and make every effort in your living for God not to quit under the chastening that is coming against you. Work at it. We, we, we think, you know, it's silly to think that if you want to succeed in your job, what do you have to do? You have to work hard, don't you? If you're a marathon runner and you get to mile, you know, 16, and your legs are starting to feel tired and your arms are feeling tired and your lungs are burning and you're just, you're, you're, you're just feeling done, the body says quit, but what do you have to do? If you're going to finish the race, you need to continue lifting those hands and arms and pumping them. You need to keep lifting up those legs. What do you do? You have to exert effort. And that's what that verse means. You exert effort. You keep going. Now, I told you last week, a lot of times we as Christians, we want God to just swoop down and take everything away and carry us on to the finish line. But it doesn't work like that, does it? God works in us. God enables us. You ought to go 
and memorize scriptures like Isaiah 41.10, 1 Timothy 1.12, other scriptures that I can't remember at the moment. You should memorize them so when you get discouraged, you can encourage yourself in God's word by the things that he does for us as we go through these things. But he also says, you pick up your feet, you swing your arms, you put effort into it. And this is what God says. Don't quit. You apply yourself and, 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 and put the energies into it. But also in verse 13, he goes on to say, not only should you strengthen or put effort into those things in your life and, and strive to finish the race, but it says, make straight paths for your feet. Does anybody remember what, uh, what I said that means last week, to make straight paths for your feet? Sorry? Say it again, Norma. It means to clear the way. Get junk out of our lives that will hinder us from running. Remember, Paul's using the illustration of a runner. And he says, look, run on a clear path. So if there are things in your life, if there are people in your life, if there is a situation in your life, if you're doing things in your life that are causing you to be not, not be able to run the race of the Christian life, just get rid of those things. You know, like I've been telling you, and I'm sure you'll get tired of it, so I'll, I'll find another story to keep telling you for a few weeks, and then I'll move on from that one. But our neighbor's training us, and now we have a personal trainer now, more like a personal pain giver, but, but that's okay. Do you know what he said? He said, I worked with him on Monday. Lisa worked with him today, and then tomorrow's my day, and then next week we'll do it together, apparently. And so... I worked out Monday, and, and he said, you did, you did okay, you did quite well. But then as he was leaving, he said, okay, here's what you need to do. And he said, um, your exercise is fine, but now you need to eat right. I thought, oh, man. And then today, Lisa gave it away. I don't even go there. Don't even go. So, so I came downstairs because I had to get to an appointment this morning, and, and we were talking, and, and I said, oh, yeah, Lisa, you know, Uh, she has to eat right too I said something to that effect and Lisa goes yes but I'm not eating the cheeseburgers and Chris looked at me and goes they get rid of them cheeseburgers you know what that means if I want to be healthy and fit and see my kids have grandbabies and great grandbabies and all that kind of stuff Lord has my day appointed we understand that and the Bible says You know, physical fitness only helps a little bit, but it does help. It does, doesn't it? In order for me to get fit, what do I have to do? I have to clear the way by not eating poorly. Okay? So if you want to live for God and and, and you want to finish this race, then you can't run through the bramble bushes and the briar bushes and you can't run through the potholes. You have to run a clear path means get things out of your life. I don't know what's in your life. I don't know what makes you skip or stutter or, or struggle in the race, but you do, don't you? Amen? Lord says, you have to put effort in the race, but to make it easier... Here, thank you for reminding me, Cordelia. <laughs> he says, he says, clear your path, get stuff out of it. So, so in essence, be diligent, Make effort. (laughs) 
Don't, don't quit under God's chastening hand. Make clear the paths in your life. Do whatever is necessary so that you can live for God. That statement is what we should write down. Do whatever is necessary so that you can live for God. It, it talks about getting stuff, getting rid of stuff that's in the way for yourself and for other people. But it doesn't finish there. That word therefore covers the next several verses. So Paul says, look, you got trials, and guess what, Christian? You will continue to have trials for the rest of your life because you will be continuously growing in your faith, and to grow in your faith, guess what? It comes through pressure, okay? It's like Monday. I did our 20-minute workout, or 25, whatever that thing is with the aerobics and a few weights and stuff, and then Chris comes in, and he, he finishes the end of it, and he says, okay, get on the mat. So he hands me weights. And so I started doing the repetitions with the weights. And, and I thought, oh, this is quite easy. And he looked at me and says, it won't be easy in a minute. And the reason why is because he continued with the reps. In other words, he put stress on my body and on my arms. But when we were done, they looked like I actually had muscles. Those of you who work out, you understand what I'm saying. Because it gets all pumped up with blood and stuff, right? So what about the spiritual life? To grow and become stronger, there's going to be resistance in it, isn't it? That's God's teaching us in chastening hand. So he says, therefore, because of all that, you put effort into it. You clear out the paths. But look at our scripture for tonight. Verse 14. And I'll read 14 through 17. But just remember, it's a, it's a continuation of the therefore. Therefore, make effort. Therefore, make clear, make way. And then therefore, it says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently lest anybody fails of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, springs up and troubles you, and there, thereby many be many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now, what's Paul saying? Paul's continuing on telling us how to live the Christian life. Again, Put effort into it. And it, again, that's probably the key point. When you don't want to do something in the Christian life about your faith, that's the greatest sign of that's what you need to do. When, when I have not wanted to go to church, when I have not wanted to read my Bible, when I have not wanted to pray, those were the signs to me that's exactly what I needed to do, right? And that's the effort you put in. But you look at what Paul says. He's talking to these Hebrew people. They're going through trials and persecutions and, and really some hard stuff. And you know what he says? He says, pursue peace. And then he says, pursue holiness. There are two things there that we are to put effort into. You know what that word pursue means? Pursue means to hunt. To go after it. But it has in the Greek the idea of intensity of purpose or a sense of urgency. It means to pursue something, to go after something with earnest 
earnestness and diligence in order to obtain, go after it with the desire of obtaining it. It means chase it down like you want to get it, you know? You ever, you ever played uh, um, uh, flag football? That doesn't happen here, does it? Do you know what flag football is? Bad illustration. Okay, how about this? You know when you, you ladies or guys, you know when you're younger and you like someone of the opposite sex? You know, girls you like a guy or guys you like a girl? What do you do? Sorry? <laughs> you go after them, don't you? You go after with the, cer- the, the point of pursuit. You want to attain what you're hunting after, right? I'm not good on illustrations tonight. Don't worry about it. But it means to catch it. It means to catch it. And here, here's the point. What the Lord wants us to do in the Christian life is we have to be people. If we want to grow and if we want to finish the race, and that's what this is all about. You've got to put effort into it. You want to finish the race? You've got to clear the path. You want to finish the race of the Christian life because the world and stuff that we live in, you need to pursue peace. And I was looking at that idea of peace. You know what peace means? It means to join. All right? And a lot of these, a lot of these Hebrew believers, maybe some of them have drifted away. Maybe some of them have succumbed to the pressures. Maybe some of the people that are applying persecution to them are really on, really hurting them or really going after them. What does Paul say? Paul says, Paul says, pursue to be joined together. Pursue peace. It means to be bound together. It means to bind together what has been separated. You know, again, maybe they had lost some, some of the Hebrew Christians to compromise, and they should pursue to be joined again with them. And I think one of the things that we need to do as Christians is we need to pursue people that have drifted away and bring them back again. We need to pursue relationships that have been separated over different things and try to bring them back again. That's what this relation, that's what this word means. It means to pursue after peace. And you know what? There's an old Israeli prime minister. Uh, his name is Yitzhak Rabin. Anybody heard of him? Here's what he said. Peace is not made with friends. Peace is made with enemies. You think about that stuff. Uh, and, and I have struggled. I thought, Lord, this peace thing, it doesn't really mesh up with the other stuff that you're putting in the Word. But you know what? It kind of does. Because what happens when a person gets discouraged? And that's what Paul's talking to these Hebrews about. When a person becomes discouraged in their faith, it affects relationships. We know that. We know that for a fact. This stuff that's happened in America with the trousers and different things, it has affected relationships. And talking to Lisa this week, she's really convicted me over something about, about my sister Christina. We haven't spoke to my sister in over a year. And I'm studying this scripture, and I'm thinking, I'm going to teach the people at church tonight. And the Lord says, yeah, pursue peace. Pursue to be joined back together again. And for about two days now, after what you said to me, I've been thinking about, I need to write my letter, my sister a letter. Why? Because that's what we're supposed to do. We are to pursue peace 
with people. It means to join them up again. How many people leave the church? And I don't mean just our local assembly, but the church in, in Universal. How many people leave the church that, that do not have to be in the left state? We, they don't have to remain left. That, I know that's not good English, but you understand what I mean. It is our job, Paul's talking to the church here, it's our job to pursue peace with them. And I don't really like that, to be honest with you. Because my human nature says, I don't like that. And I don't want to do that. But we can't go by what we feel. See, that's why people quit. They go by what they feel. That's why people, people stop doing all that they want, planned on doing when they first got saved because they... they they get wrapped up in the emotions and they get upset or they get hurt. But the biggest issue is it's because they don't understand what God is doing. And this person that you and I have been talking, you know, because we're not gossiping. I mean, there's several of you that are in on the, on the prayer chain here. He, that person doesn't want to be joined again. But God's word says that we ought to pursue peace with people. And remember what pursue means. And it doesn't mean to hunt them down and kill them. It means to aggressively pursue them to be united again, once again. It does mean to put effort into it. It means to pray about it. It means to go out of your way and meet with them. It means to do whatever is necessary for you to get what you're going after. That's what it means to be, to, about, about pursuing peace. Because let me ask you a question. If you or I are the one who ends up quitting, because you know what? That can happen to anybody. If you and I aren't putting effort into it, and if you and I don't, don't keep that relationship with Jesus Christ fresh, you are, you are able to quit. You are able to give in. Do you understand what I mean? And so wouldn't, if that happened to you, wouldn't you want the church to be doing what the church is supposed to do and come after you? If nobody goes after them, how can they ever be restored? They can't. And we are to go after them. Pursue peace. But he also says, pursue holiness. He tells us to pursue holiness because without holiness, we can't even see the Lord. We can't even see God. And that has always played up in my mind is I don't understand what you mean that mean by that. So I, I've, I understand it now through studying it. I know what he's saying. What does he mean by pursuing holiness? That word holiness is not is it's not the word like righteousness. It's not the word that that brings us into that relationship with God and makes us holy positionally in his eyes it is the word that means consecration or sanctification it means you already belong to him but what we are to pursue is that continued process of becoming more like christ again it goes back to lifting up your feet and lifting up your hands and and i always go back to the basics but if we don't pursue jesus in our word and our prayer and our worship we cannot see him. What does it mean? It doesn't mean salvation. 
that word seeing God means having a relationship with Him. If we are not pursuing a sanctified life, if we're not pursuing a life that is pleasing inwardly and outwardly to Christ, then how can we have a relationship with the Lord? The Bible says you can't, you, can't, you can't mix the two. You can't mix worldliness and godliness and have a relationship with God. The word, the word sanctification, consecration, it has the idea of being different and being separated. So what does it mean to be holy? It means to be different and separated from. And what is the Christian? The Christian is a called out individual. The Bible says that we are in the world, but we are no longer of the world. That means we are separate in the world. It, it, I don't really like this word because we, it's been said to us so many times in the wrong way, but there ought to be a distinction in our living for Christ. There should be, people should be able to see a difference between how you and I live and how those who are lost live. There should be a difference, and it doesn't necessarily come from the clothes you wear or, or how you part your hair or what size of Bible that you carry. The distinction needs to be what's inside coming outside. And you know what? The distinction ought to be love. That's really where we ought to be separated from those who are lost and us being saved. Paul says, you know this battle that you live, this life and all the chastening that come, comes into your life? Don't despise it. Don't get mad about it. Don't get angry at God about it. Keep putting effort into your life. Pursue peace with people and joining back again in a relationship with God at, in, in, in church and in, in, in spiritual sense. Pursue a holiness in your life. I mean, folks, we ought not to be doing the things that we used to do when we were unsaved. We ought not to be thinking the way we used to when we were unsaved. And the only way that transformation comes is through the Holy Spirit using His Word and changing how we think. It used to be that my first reaction when I would get mad at people was to yell at them and cuss at them and, and threaten, yeah, come on, let's fight. Because in my younger days, I had somewhat of a temper. I still have it when it's not controlled by the Spirit of the Lord. And, and so that's how we are to do. We are to pursue after holiness, a, a consecration of life, a sanctifying of our life, a difference in our life. Why? Why? Because the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, God has not called us unto uncleanness in our life, but God has called us to holiness. God has called us to be different. God has called us to be clean. God has called us to be in a, a representation of Him. And think about this. Every born-again person is a representation of Jesus Christ. What are we representing to the world? Are we representing a holy God? 
Or are we representing an unholy God? What are we doing? And Paul says he's not called you to uncleanness, but to holiness. In Romans it says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, you know, before you were saved, you gave yourselves over to uncleanness, right? Which led to more lawlessness. Sin, which led to more what? Sin, and led to more sin. Because in that pathway, it continues to lead on. So now, Paul says, present your bodies, your lives, your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. That's what we're supposed to do. It says, make every effort to be holy. Make every effort to pursue peace with people. Make every effort to be what God wants you to be. It says, this seeking of holiness is a drawing near to God with a clean conscience, a true acceptance of Christ's sacrifice for your sin, and the drawing of a desire to be a true worshiper in fellowship with God. That's what holiness means. Can I also say this? There's nothing in our life that if God calls us to give it away, that if when we do give it away, that it will that we will ever regret giving it away. Does that make sense? You'll never regret giving up the things that your father wants you to give up so that you can be in closer relationship with him. The problem comes when we won't give those things away. So this pursuing of peace and holiness, in the Greek, it, it is not an option. It's a necessity. If you and I want to finish the race and not quit and end up being a, a, a example of, 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 of a, a bad testimony, you must, I must pursue. It demands a diligence. It demands effort. And guess what? It's a lifelong task. And for Andrew, that's only a few more minutes because he's really, really old. Okay? <laughs> so, yeah, we have this ongoing who's older kind of thing. Technically, in real life, he is older than I am. Just look at us. Can't you tell? <laughs> he know, he know. Actually, I'm, what, more than a year older than you are? You, you're, you, I'm going to have the church vote against you being a deacon on Sunday. We're going to knock you off the board. Okay. But why is it so important to do that? And, and I'll, I'll finish with this thought. I want you to look at verse 15. 12, 15. Okay, Paul says what? Work at this thing, man. Keep running. Don't give up. I've told you what to pursue after. I've told, I've told you what to aim for. What happens, though, if we allow our trials of life? Zachary. What happens if we allow our trials of life and, and to affect us, uh, affect us negatively? And what will happen if we don't look at what God's doing as a good thing? What will happen? Look at verse 15. It says they're looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. 
lest any root of bitterness springs up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. First of all, Paul says, look carefully at what's going on. And what is going on? God's working in your life. These things in your life aren't happening because he hates you. It's because he loves you. So he's allowed them to come into your life. Why? Because he wants you to grow. And he wants you to become stronger. And he wants to teach you about faith and James. He wants you to become a mature believer and all that. So what's going on? He, he, here's what he's basically saying. God's grace is what? God's grace is his working in your life for a purpose and a reason. God's grace is all that he does to bring you to faith, but it doesn't end with that. God's grace is all that he does in your life for you to grow. His grace is his love towards you that's unmerited. That's God's grace. God's grace is all that he does in our life. So he brings these things in your life. So here's what the Bible means, lest, lest you fall short of the grace of God. It doesn't mean this, oh God, I'm trying to get you. No, God says, here's my grace. Falling short of that means missing the point of what he's bringing into your life for. In other words, God is working grace through your life, in your life, through this discipline, through this teaching, and through this chastening. Don't miss what he's doing. Don't, don't let it go by you thinking, oh, why is this happening? This is unfair. This isn't right. Think, Lord, what are you doing here? Lord, show me what you should. I know there's a purpose for this. So Lord, help me to be faithful and to live for you and to understand that you're doing this for my good, that there's something here to help me with and help my family. And, and what Paul's saying, don't miss what God's doing in your life. God's grace could be, Paul, wear a thorn in your life to where you have to depend on me more. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9? Paul says, take it, take it, take it, take it. God says, no, my grace is enough. Why? My grace will be your strength. What's, that, what's the verse saying? For my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. Paul could say, no, I don't, I don't see it, Lord. I don't understand why you are allowing me to have this debilitating issue in my life. I could be so much more for you if you take this from me. And then what happened? He'd get bitter and angry against God. And that's missing the grace of God. That's missing the point in which God is allowing these things to come in your life for. And Paul says, don't miss the grace. Don't fall short of it. God's working through it. Don't miss it. Why? What's the danger if we miss what God is teaching us through the discipline? Remember that word we just used? Lest a root of bitterness springs up? It means this, unless you become a bitter root. It's not meaning, oh, you might get some bitterness trying to catch you in your life. No, it means that you become a bitter root. What does a bitter root do? A bitter root destroys the things that are around it. You follow the verse? Look carefully at what God is doing. 
And don't miss God's grace working in your life through all these situations. And if you do, don't miss it because if you do miss it, a root of bitterness springs up troubling you. The Greek means you become a bitter root. So what happens? You sit in church and, and you're missing what God's doing for you. You're getting angry at the Lord. You're getting angry at God's people. Life is not fair. This is not right. And what happens? You, you will be a poison to people around you. True or not? Here's what Paul says. Put effort, strive, pursue peace in your relationships with, with other people and other people's relationships with, with the church and with God. Pursue them to bring in joining. Pursue a holiness in your life. Go after it until you attain it. But also, if you miss what God's doing, you could become a bitterness, a, a bitter root to the congregation, to your family, to everybody around you. Because look what it says. It says, and thereby many be defiled. Why is it so important that we strive to live for God? so that we don't become bitter. Because when we quit striving to live for God, that's when we get closer to being a tool of Satan to be destructive and not a tool of God to be healing. Because you look at what we do. When we strive after God, we can be healing in relationships. When we get bitter, we can be poison in relationships. Doesn't that make sense? Amen? So, so Paul says right here, what is the danger if we miss God's teaching us through this chastening and te- disciplining and all that? We become a bitter root. One commentary defines a bitter root as a bad man. And you think about it. A bitter person is a bad influence, a bad testimony. It's just a bad situation right and we all can become bitter if we stop striving after and so he ends it with an illustration he says look at Esau not only are we supposed to put effort into our faith pursue peace pursue holiness don't miss God's grace in your life Don't miss the point of what God is doing in your life. He said something else that you need to be aware of in running this race for the Lord and for faith says this. Don't trade the spiritual for the worldly. Don't trade what God has for you as a blessing for what you think is a blessing now. Micah. Is it glitching? We'll fix it in a minute. And I'm done preaching, okay? Okay. Shh. Okay. Esau. He got hungry one day. He was the firstborn child. He was the one in the inheritance, Andrew, 
for the blessing of God's people, for the blessing of his father, um, Isaac, was Isaac. Isaac one day would come before Esau and, and give him the blessing that he received from his father Abraham. But one day he got hungry and his brother Jacob, who was a deceiver, is not a good guy. Matter of fact, on a human standpoint, Esau was a nicer guy than Jacob. Esau loved his dad. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, be careful. He loved his dad. He was a good man. He seemingly was a good businessman, right? He had people serving him and surrounding him, and he didn't do it by, like Jake did, by deception. So on that human side, Esau probably wasn't a bad guy. But what was his major problem? Esau had no spiritual desire at all. So Jacob came along and said, hey man, you want some of my stew? Sell me your birthright. He goes, what good's a birthright to me? I don't care about the birthright, I'm hungry. So he threw the birthright away. And this is the other thing Paul's saying to Christians. Don't, don't take the temporary pleasures of the world over the greater blessings of the spiritual life. Esau, who though born with the, within, within the sight of the church in, in, in a way, having the birthright as the oldest son and was entitled to the privilege of being prophet, priest, and king in his family, was so profane as to despise the sacred rights and privileges of being a child of God. And he sold his right, his birthright, for a morsel of meat. That word profane simply means he had no spiritual desire. So what Paul's warning us about is about the lack of that spiritual desire. That's what we need in our life. So in the end, here, here's the deal. We want to finish the race? Keep running. And when you get tired, what do you do, Emily? Keep running. And in that race, you're going to come across people, and you need to join them up. We need to pursue peace with people. And we need to pursue a living holiness with God. And we need to not despise and forget what God is doing in our life. I don't understand sometimes why the Lord had my home church fire me and kick us out the back door. I don't understand it. But you know what I'm beginning to see? I'm beginning to see God had a plan for all that that's going to be better than if we had stayed. We've been talking about this. You know? And, 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 and I'm seeing the Lord take care of us in ways that I've never seen Him take care of us when we were in that situation. So I'm beginning to see the grace of God. But if we'd gotten angry and got bitter, we would have missed all what God's doing for us. So that's the point. Stay running. Stay focused. Don't quit. And for the grace of God, for those people around us that have, let's go after them and let's help them. And for those relationships that have been broken because of the trials of the Christian life, God says, go try to put them back together again as well. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm done. Anybody want to comment?